All right, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Muddy Main Point. It's great to be with you and have the privilege of doing another podcast for you listeners here. I'm Blake Flincham. I'm the children's pastor and the interim youth pastor here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. I'm joined by my brother here, our lead pastor, Jeff McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And we're coming off a Sunday, Jeff, that I absolutely loved. It was uh, anytime that we can have something like four baptisms in a service is always an absolute blessing. Um, I was looking at a statistic the other day. It said for um, for the typical Southern Baptist Church, the average amount of baptisms they do per year is three. Wow. So as of yesterday, we are already bidding the average for the Southern Baptist Church. So I thought that was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool stat because uh, I'm really excited about what the Lord's doing here at Rose Sharon. I was uh, telling everybody in the service yesterday, you know, to come out of COVID and have 16 baptisms, a lot of churches would be killing right now to have the amount in that total span that what with what we had yesterday. Because coming out of COVID, obviously, you and I both know was not easy. But the Lord seems to be taken care of us pretty well right now, for sure. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's the Lord working. There's nothing that none of us have done. Even when Jeremiah and Jonathan were here, we you know you can't you can't really. I mean, you, you do the things you're supposed to do, yeah. but you really can't plan for salvations and baptisms. No. That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit, because if you generate it and do it yourself and you, you create some method, then maybe you're just getting people to do something as opposed to allowing it to happen. And then you, you just work where God's working and go, OK, great. This is good. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, <clears throat> I, one thing I've always loved about here is we're... We don't really manipulate, if you will, people into salvation. We, you know, we do an altar call, but we always try to reiterate. There's nothing special about the words you say at a prayer. We don't try to make you feel like a certain way and then to kind of like get you to be saved. We just, one thing I've always liked is we're just pretty simple. Preach the gospel and we're like, look, this is no, there's no better time than today. For you to, you know, today is the day of salvation for you. You just have to come. So, I, I, you know, you keep being obedient, preaching and teaching and, you know, working with people, hanging out with people. And the Lord's eventually going to produce the harvest. So pretty excited about what the Lord's doing here at Rose of Sharon. And we uh, had a sermon yesterday about the promise of eternal life, which comes from 1 John chapter to verse 25. I'll go ahead and read that for us. If, uh, you know, for the listeners, if you want to get your Bible out and kind of follow along, feel free. Or if you just want to listen, that's fine too. First John chapter two, verse 25, it says this, and this is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. So, uh, I know when you were thinking about what to preach today, I know with Easter coming up, which is like our, uh, everything revolves around Easter and Christmas for the Christian, for sure. And, but I know that Easter's coming up, but was there anything more specific that caused you to want to do this verse compared to something like, I don't know, John 3.16 or... No, I just, uh, uh, when we celebrate Easter, a lot of times we celebrate it, but um, so so what does that mean? I mean, so what does Easter mean to us? Of course, then with Jesus being raised from the dead, uh, one of the things means that we're going to raise from the dead, and I'm actually going to talk about that on, on Easter Sunday. But the other thing is that 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 that, that resurrection proved that um, he this offer of eternal life 
he's the only one that can make it because he died, but now he's he's risen again. He's alive. He's still alive. And so, um, so I thought about that, and and I ran across. So I did the whole uh, eternal life word searching on. I ran across that verse there, very succinct verse. And I'm like, well, <clears throat> I could preach that one. Um, it'll be a good two two part sermon because uh, I knew we had baptism coming up. And yeah, so, so our time was kinda, a little bit. It all kind of played in together. Because yeah. normally if you're going to do something where you're going to baptize four people, then you got to cut something out in a, in a message or something out in the song or something like that. So uh, we were able to do that and do a two-point uh, sermon on that. Well, and I think, uh, <coughs> you know, we were, we were kind of talking before this, but I think it's always awesome how, you know, I can't imagine not preaching on something like eternal life when we got four baptisms. And one thing we always try to do is like tell our folks who are getting baptized, hey, this is a great opportunity to invite your friends, your family, because even if they don't go to church, even if they're not saved, it seems to be something about that to where they'll at least want to come and support you. Right. They might not know that indirectly they're kind of coming to see the gospel being proclaimed indeed, but they're still going to come and support you. So, you know, ha- having them there, easy segue to be able to just preach the gospel, you know, right. and have it so gospel centered, especially with, you know, because like yesterday we had Jamie, I mean, she's got friend, work friends. Kevin's got work friends. Layton's got friends. Sutton's got friends, you know, from school. And then Drew has friends and family that he, you know, that wanted to come see him. So with a lot of visitors, you know, we'd be, I mean, we'd be remiss not to preach on something like eternal life through Jesus and the promise that he made. So really, uh, really glad you did that. And really glad you did that. And John really, John really talks, his kind of main theme, not even in just the gospel of John, but even in like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and even Revelation, really points to a lot of this hope of eternal life. I mean, he's the guy who wrote John 3.16, which is probably the most popular verse in all of the world. And even he reiterates that eternal life thing in 1 John. And at the end in Revelation, you really see that He's talking about the more practicality of what this resurrection, what this is going to look like, and there's just a lot to a there's a lot to kind of unpack here. So excited to use this time to use that. So for the your first point for the listener, Jeff's first point was this: the promise of eternal life is made by God Himself. How does? Let me ask you this: what with God making that promise to us? How does that help somebody who might be struggling with assurance of salvation? Well, first of all, if it's the promise made by God, all right? So if God is God, then if God can break his promise, then God is human like us because we're not perfect. And we say things, we make promises a lot of times that we just can't deliver on. I mean, that's just the way life is. Um, You know, um, and many times we don't mean to break our promises. Maybe we were sincere and we wanted to do something, but it's just the way the circumstances worked out or whatever that, that we just can't, we can't make a promise and deliver on it because we don't know the future, first of all. So I can say, hey, I promise I'll come cut your grass tomorrow. Right. Well, you may have a car wreck that day. So, so only God can actually make a promise that can be kept 
And if God doesn't keep keep his promises, then what kind of God is that that you're you're worshiping then? Not a very trustworthy one. Yeah. So so here <laughs> in, in the promise that was made, um, you read from the CSB version, it says in this promise uh, that he himself made us. So so John is clearly making the distinction here that this promise was made by God. It comes through Jesus Christ. And um, and so if it's a promise of eternal life, then if it's not eternal, then what kind of promise is that? So so I have the assurance now that if I'm trusting in God, and I've did everything I believe according to scripture that we have to do in order to receive salvation. I haven't earned it, can't do anything to keep it, can't do anything to lose it, then if he's offered this eternal life to me and I've said yes, then this eternal life is mine. And so that gives me the assurance then that I'm not worried about, am I going to go to heaven when I die? I know that's where my final destination is. So now my job is to to try to get as many people as possible to have that same assurance where they can know that they have eternal life as well. And I think that's what John has, has done. I think that when you read his gospel, I think I mentioned it's mentioned 17 times. This book here uh, is mentioned six times, and all along, he, be, it's the theme of the Gospel of John anyway, where he says these things are written that you can know that you have eternal life. So so he's really wanting to hone in that that when you fa- come face-to-face with Jesus, and we'll talk about it uh, later on, but he even says that Jesus is eternal life. So So this whole promise is all wrapped up in Jesus and what he did for us. And, um, and it comes from God, which is great because if it was from the disciples, just mention it themselves, like, yeah, we believe Jesus made this promise or God made this promise, then it's null and void then if it didn't happen. Right. And it's, it's actually, uh, you know, this coming from a disciple about Jesus and, you know, there's, they're not the ones who initiated this. It's the, you know, Jesus himself did. And John's talking about what he's seen, what he's heard. You know, he even talks about, I think it's in First John in the prologue a little bit. In First mm-hmm. John, he's like, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've touched. And like, he's saying like, this is a tangible, uh, very credible source. Jesus, because yes, he's God himself. Yeah, he's, he calls God, Jesus, the word of life which goes back to the prologue of John in the beginning was the word, what word was with God. Um, and so, so he puts it back that Jesus was there. He's, he's life. And in that prologue, he says that, that he's life itself. And then he also says he is the one who is eternal life. So, so this whole promise of eternal life is all wrapped up in Jesus. So if you know Jesus, then you know life. You have life if you've received Jesus. So, you, so whatever life Jesus has and offers becomes your life too. So that's what makes it eternal life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um when I'm talking with people who think that maybe you can lose your salvation or they're kind of they're really kind of struggling with it. I always remind them it's not so much about whether you can lose it or not, but look at the person of Jesus. Like you were saying, when we have a trustworthy God who does keep his promises, if you can lose your salvation, especially when Scripture says in Ephesians 1, you're sealed to the day of redemption, uh, that doesn't correlate. You know, either He, you can't lose it, or if you still believe he's good but you can lose it, then there's a kind of a 
inconsistency there in your theology a little bit. You know, why why worship somebody who's not going to give you assurance? You know, that seems a little bit like a jerk move, you know, especially right. when he calls his disciples to be so radical in following him. Like most of the disciples, I think with the exception of John, died a brutal, brutal death. And even John didn't have it easy because I think he was almost poisoned, but he survived it on Patmos, I think. But well, if you go by church, well, church tradition, Catholic yeah. tradition. But, well, that's true, yeah. But yeah, but he was exiled to Patmos, uh, and when he was an old elderly man, and so he's written that's he's writing these letters to his to the people that um, were part of the John Hine um, Christians, the people that that he was uh, closely related to. They're in Ephesus. They're in Jerusalem, and. Um, so he's basically trying to help them see that even though he knows he's going to die, he's not afraid of death, and death's going to come our way. But we have eternal life, so death is just a transition from from we haven't lost our eternal life. It's still going to happen. So um, so you have a lot going on there, but primarily it's to give us assurance because here's the thing: if um, if God then based eternal life on us, whether we'd ever be able to live up to Christianity, live up to the law, live up to all these standards, the standard of Jesus, his perfectness and his completeness and his holiness, then God then is at our whim. And so so it's important for us to know that because we have eternal life, does that mean then now I can just do whatever I want to, live however I want to, um, don't really have to go to church, don't have to be a part of the body. I don't, you know, I can just do my own thing. Me and God's got a good thing going. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that that because I'm I have this eternal life that's assured and guaranteed by God Himself, not by me, then now I, I'm free to live this life as best as I can by abiding, abiding in Him and living for Him and then trying to get other people to come to know Christ as well. Right. And when the righteous judge declares us not guilty, there's nothing that's going to be able to take that. And I, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think you mentioned, was it like the Greek word for eternal life or something that meant like a legal declaration or like... Well, a, the promise is, is the promise. It's a legal term. And basically, uh, you know, the when you look at the Strong's Concordance and everything, it's, it's an announcement or a pledge. So it's used, it's used for the actual promise itself. So if I say, hey... Uh, Blake, I'm going to go buy you a hot dog for supper tonight. Which feel free to if you want. Okay. So I'll make you a promise, right? Right. So it means that what I just declared is the promise. Yeah. But also that hot dog that's sitting there, yeah. that's going to be bought for you one day when I go by, or this afternoon if we go, you know. Right. So, 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 so it's the, the promise that was declared, but the promise is also the tangible object. Okay. So, so the promise that was declared was eternal life, but then Jesus shows up and reveals he's the tangible uh, revelation of that promise. And because he rose from the dead and he said that God's given all these to me and I'm going to raise them up at the last day. So he's actually really the promise too. So he's he's part of the promise of God of eternal life. So, uh, but it's also a guarantee. So when the promise is made, it says that, uh, um, let's see here. 
Oh yeah. So so uh, if it, if the promise or dec declaration is made, uh, it comes with the implication of an obligation to carry it out. So if God makes this promise, then He's obligated to carry it out. So if I make this promise to you buy this hot dog, but I don't carry it out, I broke the promise. Right. Right. Yeah. So God then technically. And this, the, the only time the word promise is used in the New Testament, it's only used for God hmm. and a promise okay. that God's made. So, so, so it's it's reserved only for Him. So that so if a promise is made in the New Testament, God's made it and it's going to happen. So, so uh, that takes all the onus off us yeah. then, to say, hey, I have to live up to this promise. Yeah, no, I like that because when when somebody might be like struggling with that, there's a, such a big focus on the human part of it, and there's such a there needs to be a bigger emphasis on like who the person of God is, like because He is the Creator of the universe. Like when John's saying He's the Word of Life, He's talking, He's kind of referring to Genesis one. There, well, not kind of, He is referring to Genesis one right there when yes. it says um, when God spoke it into existence. That happened. Well, that's the word of God. Yeah. He's talking about Jesus right yes. there. Well, the son of God. And, you know, and we see that in Genesis. He's already there, which shows he's eternal. And he's using that. And even for salvation, which is recreation, being reborn, you know, rebirth, new birth. He's given us that, uh, given us that assurance. Um, yeah. And what throws us off is like, let's say, for example, I said, okay, Blake, um, I promise you, if you make, all A's on your report card, I'm going to give you a bicycle. Right. Okay. So now you're going to do everything you can to work to make all A's in order to get the promise of the bicycle. Well, see, God didn't do that either mm. because God, when he gave us the promise of eternal life, he did that uh, even though we're sinners and even though we don't deserve it, you know, he still gives us this yeah. life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life with Jesus Christ Lord. So it's a promise. It's also a gift. And so we can't. So in our mind, though, we think we have to be the guy that makes all A's in order to earn the promise that was promised to me. And so we look at heaven and the eternal life the same way that somehow or another it's promised, but I still have to do something in order for the promise to happen. And so I think that's where people get caught up on losing their salvation or feeling like, well, if I got caught up in all these sins and all, maybe I'm really not saved and I'm not going to have eternal life. Right. And I think it's a, I think it's really important to know because this has especially kind of been on my, been on my heart lately with talking to like some students and whatnot. You know, when you get saved, when the Lord has saved you, you uh, have been justified, like just as if you've never sinned. And when in the Old Testament it talks about uh, forgiveness can't be given if blood hadn't been shed. And that's why Jesus' blood had to be shed on the cross so that there could be forgiveness of sins. And that's just not a one-time thing. That's in the past, present, and future. And if we could do something to do away with that, then it probably wasn't a great gift to begin with. If it's uh, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? If there's like a, bilateral agreement on there but see salvation is here's what it is this is the goodness i just want you to accept it and i think a lot of people especially in seminary culture 
uh, kind of struggle with this, but saying yes to something is not a work. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It's saying yes to G is not a work. So I've heard the argument before, well, you're the one who accepted it, so you work for it. No, not at all. Saying yes to something is saying yes, and that and that's it. So that's a, we kind of really focused on the, the goodness of God right there with the eternal life. And I think, um, I think the illustration, but also argumentation. And what I mean by that in, uh, those are like preacher terms for like, let me use like a visual illustration. Let me use, uh, an example that can kind of be related to this. And what we mean by like argumentation is other scripture that supports your point, not make it, not conforming the Bible to make it fit to what we're saying, but showing where other parts of the Bible support what the other parts of Scripture are saying. And you brought up Numbers chapter 23, which is an awesome passage, by the way, because Jesus even reiterates this in John chapter 3, when um, the the Israelites had been bitten by a lot of snakes. And I want to say the reason they were, was, was that because of sin in the camp? Uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah. they were complaining about... Uh, they were complaining about something. Not that the Israelites so, would ever complain about something. Yeah, so it was either water or food. Or, yeah, uh, I think they were eating leek. We could go back to Egypt and eat. So, it, so yeah. some, you know, God sent the quail. So, so something happened. Uh, but uh, these snakes came, and the snakes were biting people, and they would die. Mm. And so they needed a remedy for that. And so that's when God told Moses then. To actually technically build an idol, to put a snake, a bronze snake on a pole. And later on, that did become like an idol for the Israelites afterwards. Yeah. But, um, and so so this object of what's killing them, which is the snake, of course, represents Satan, which represents the garden, which represents the fall, which represents sin, is attached to the pole. So it's nailed to the pole. It's held up in the middle of the camp. So that if anyone's ever bitten, all they have to do is turn and look. Mm. So if you think about it, it's like it sounds simple, right? So you're you're telling everybody out there in the community, if you get bit by the snake, turn and look. So you, how many people probably said, I don't believe that. That's just that's not going to happen. And they got bit by the snake and they failed to turn and look. Could have been a lot. So same way with Jesus, then he becomes the object of sin, ridicule. He's attached to a pole like that snake. He becomes sin for us. The Bible says he becomes a curse for us. And so and so the whole thing is like you turn and look to him. I mean, if you look at the thieves on the cross, one turned away to the crowd and said, if you're, if you're who you are, save yourself and us. The other turns and says, this man's innocent. We deserve what we're getting. Right. And then he turns to the Lord and says, well, you, you remember me. So, so it's a visual that uh, uh, Nicodemus could see and and make sense to when he sees Jesus on the cross, then becoming that snake on the pole, realizing that that all we have to do is put our faith and trust and believe in him. Yeah, and I think it's so important there to like just look and live. That's really that just turn in faith, yeah. because for the Israelites there, they had to trust and had to live in faith, that when they looked at that bronze serpent on a pole that's lifted up, that they would be rescued yeah. from the from the serpents. That's the exact same with us, because we turn to him in faith, 
because they have physical probably evidence that I want to be careful how I say this. They it, it was an act of faith to be, really believe that they Just turn in and looking. UBC. Turn in and looking because it sounds so simple. It well, sounds too good to be true, whole, but it's they have had hundreds of people that they know that have been bitten and died. Probably right. even family members of them. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's the setup for the famous verse that you talked about, John three sixteen, that for whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So again, it's 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 a belief, it's a faith thing. It's not a works. So yeah, if I get bit and fall down and I'm bit and I have to turn around and look, is that a work? No, you're basically turning from what bit you to turn <laughs> yeah. to to what's going to save you. So so this whole idea that that receiving Christ or praying to receive Christ or putting your faith in Christ as some kind of work, it's not a work. It's it's a it's a uh, I was going to say the word reaction, but um, it's, it's like, yeah, it's so we're here. We hear the gospel. It's a response. Our, our reaction to the gospel is to respond to it, yeah. to either accept it or reject it. So, again, even if you reject it, um, that's something you've done. You've rejected it. It's a faith thing that, that, no, I'm going to put my faith and trust in my own merit, my own way of thinking. Even though it sounds good, even though Jesus did down across, um, I'm choosing to reject that. So, so, so then uh, it goes back to then what sin sends me to hell? You know, we talked earlier about the, the uh, unpardonable sin. So, the only sin that will actually send you to hell is to hear that good news, to understand that good news, to have that opportunity to respond to the good news, and then to reject. The goodness or to reject the prompting of the Holy Spirit and say, no, I'm saying no to you and I'm going to go my own way. Right. And with and when it comes to like rejection, what you know, because when we talk about eternal life, I think we'd be kind of remiss not to mention the uh, to let people know the other side of that coin. And that's an eternal death mm-hmm. in hell. And we um and the reason we kind of talked, well, we were talking about this. uh um unforgivable sin thing is I was teaching a lesson in uh, student ministry yesterday and we uh, we kind of talked about you know what are some things you might have heard might be the unforgivable sin and you know I've I've heard a I've heard a lot <laughs> of speculation on what that might be I mean I've heard everything from homosexuality suicide um, yeah I mean you you name it people have said this is the unforgivable sin you know if you had an abortion or whatever and none of that's true. So am I saying you have a right to go out and do that? No, absolutely not. But with with that, you know, some people might ask, well, why do you believe that? Well, Scripture doesn't say any of those things. It says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus is clear. This is the unpardonable sin, the eternal sin, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's the one thing is simple. It's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now you might be like, well, what does blasphemy blasphemy mean? Well, he even mentions before that, you know, all the blasphemies that they might utter against me or whatever, you know, God or me, God, they, forgiven. they can be forgiven. But what what's so 
special Jesus about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why, why not do that? Well, when you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer. And that's the, to me, that's like the, uh, where the rubber meets the road for salvation, if you would, when it comes to more on the practicality sense of it. When, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit begins to indwell within us. And if you're not an indwelt believer, then you're not saved. Right, but the Holy Spirit is the one that's prompting and drawing right. you. And so then the blasphemy basically comes to say that that I'm going to turn away from this drawing and this pulling and this tugging at my heart to believe this truth about the gospel. And so, uh, so basically you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm saying no to this this tugging at my heart of the Holy Spirit. And we believe the Holy Spirit is God. Yes. So you're saying no to God. Yes. And that, if you say no to God, then the you say no to an eternal yeah. being, you say no to eternal life, then the other option is naturally eternal damnation. Yeah. So with that, that I, I want to put that plug in there because... I was reminding the students yesterday that if you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot, you can't commit the unpardonable sin because you already have the Holy right. Spirit. And that that helps out with like the assurance thing with the eternal life. And it's going to be through the power of the Spirit, you know, that that it rose Jesus from the dead. It's going to help raise us from the dead. And when we believe in that, and I think. When, yeah, they have a few years back, they did a whole thing. It was on the Internet. Um, the blasphemy challenge. Yeah, and I even preached a message about that then, where they were getting people to blaspheme the Holy Spirit online. You could go to this whole website and do it, and a lot of people did. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, claimed to be Christians and did it and stuff like that. So, you know, that's just something that, um, you know, when you talk about your eternal destination, eternal life or eternal death. Eternal life is offered through Jesus Christ. There's a guarantee. You put your faith and trust in him, then you're going to have eternal life. Or if you don't, then uh, if you believe not, then you're condemned already. So, so you make the choice to be condemned. Yeah. And so, um, so, so uh, John is, is given everybody that, that, that understanding and he goes in great detail and I used a lot of passages to, to say that, you know, that this is something that you can know. This is something you can be assured of. This is something that um, has been offered by God. And so, uh, and even at the end, when I finished it, he talked about you search the scriptures thinking you can have eternal life, but, but they all point to me. Mm. So it all boils down to Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And what are you going to do about him when you're being, because uh, the Bible clearly says no one comes to the Father. Unless they're drawn by the Spirit, right. Jesus even said that. Right. So, so that time in your heart and life when God's drawing you, and we've all been through conviction, uh, because I, I don't, I've never met somebody that that was ever saved first time I ever heard the gospel, um, because usually it's something that tugs at your heart. And so, I remember as a kid, I would be under conviction as a young person, as an adult, and then finally I, I, I yielded. My, my spirit and yielded my will to God's will and became a Christian. So, so that's the, the thing that's going on there when, the, when he talks about um, 
you know, you can curse God or curse Jesus, but if you ever like curse the Holy Spirit, you ever say, you know, I don't want anything else to do with the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't want to go to any more church services. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel this conviction. So, so you're at the you're at the preface 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 of, of getting ready to. Preface. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, the edge I, of the cliff. Yeah, you're the, yeah. There we go. You're right. Your you're, next step could be the step that says, "Okay, then there's no more drawing of the Holy Spirit." Right, and I think um, you know it's a good. I'm glad you mentioned that the Holy Spirit is the person whom God is uh, who God used the Holy Spirit to draw people to believe and i know you had uh, uh in a couple of times there mentioned the word believe and i think that's a great segue into your next point which was the promise of eternal life is given to those who believe in jesus now let me ask you this for the word believe can mean a lot of different things because the demons believe that jesus is the son of god mm-hmm. so define for our listeners what believe mean because obviously we would say the demons aren't saved, but Jesus says, "Whoever believes in English, it looks like the right word, you know, same word. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life." So, what does it mean to believe, and how does that? Yeah, what does it mean to believe? Well, I mean, first of all, the reason I use the word believe is because He said it's promised to us. So he's yeah. talking to believers, people that put their faith and trust. So, believing faith, believing is is faith. It's it's. Uh, uh, I had explained to me uh, one time, and it always stuck with me, is to believe is to be live, be living. Mm. So, so I'm believing. But I've I'm never also, heard that before. That's yeah, good. so yeah. talked to me a long time. So, yeah. so if you look at believe and then believing, and then take out the e and you have be living. Mm. So you're be. And so when you look at that, when especially when you looked at that passage uh, from the NLT where it talks about this fellowship. So they, and then I went to the message because I brought verse 24 and 25 in, um, where it talks about like, um, uh, this original message, the gospel, let it sink into your life. What you have heard from the beginning lives deeply in you. You will live deeply both in the father and the son. This is exactly what God, uh, Christ promised eternal life, real life. So that believing then that be living is that abundant life that, abiding life that faith life that discipleship life is is living your life then now for christ so believing then is something that will cause uh action in your life uh so if i really believe in this with all my heart and soul mind and strength then i'm going to live for what i believe yeah because like if we're i mean if we you know, you're a Carolina basketball fan, whether you want to admit it right now or not. Oh, yeah. I still am. <laughs> but, but with, uh, I mean, even for me as a Wake Forest fan, you know, if if because we are fans, we watch our team. Yeah. Because we want to put our some of our time and effort into our team, that causes us to act and either watch it on TV, go go see some games. We, because we're basketball fans, we watch basketball yeah. because we love it. And, you know, your heart's going to, you know, whatever's in your heart's eventually going to come out of your mouth. And that's what you're going to talk about, what you love, yeah. you know. And, you know, for a, for a husband, he's probably going to talk about his wife. For a wife, probably going to talk about her husband. And 
with that, I, I like what you said, taking the action there, because like, um, and that that word believe, I think is a that's something that I always try to define to the kids in our kids ministry as well. But and that also whenever we're doing like the Romans road with the preschoolers, that's why, you know, that's something that I learned from you with the hand motions is when you point towards your heart and your head right. at the same time. Yeah. Right. Because it's heart knowledge and head knowledge. It's both. Yeah. And believing is I think believing is that dichotomy of head knowledge and heart knowledge. I would say that the demons have the head knowledge, if you will, but they ain't got the heart knowledge. Because right. they don't live by it. Well, and a demon can't be converted either. They no. Can't, they can't be saved. And they, even an angel is a created being that can't be saved. And the angels that are that are true uh, um, God's servants, so you have two, t- so when you talk about demons and angels, um, the demons, of course, are Satan's ser- servants. And their, servants, fa- and their fate is set. The angels are the uh, God's servants, but, but they can't be saved. And so they they look and and they look and and they don't really understand everything about it because they can't. But we can look and understand and believe, and we can see the consequences of our actions and things like that. And so God has put that in our hearts that we have a free will, but we have a free choice too, and we have a an opportunity to either accept what He's done for us or to reject it. And if we reject it, then we're we're condemned, not because of our works, but because we um, we didn't believe, and so we're condemned already because we didn't we didn't believe. And so, but because and so since um, maybe I have all these other sins that you mentioned later uh, earlier in my life as an unbeliever, then those sins are never going to be covered by the blood, never going to be covered by God's forgiveness. Never going to be the, the punishment and the cost and the price that was made, the sacrifice that was made is never going to be made for those. And so then I'm going to die in those sins. But the sin that makes me die in those sins is my sin of unbelief. Right. So, and and I think that's something good for Christians to know is that people who are lost and dying and going to hell ain't because they commit this one sin. It's because they're sinners. Yeah. And they rejected Jesus. And we're sinners that accepted him. Right. We just, there's nothing special about us. We just, I mean, we just see our need for Jesus more. Right. And the only is forgiveness. Well, and forgiveness. We've been, we've been forgiven. You know, when, there's a part of me that feels like, why, when, and of course we're pastors, we, we understand the gospel message very, very well. When, so as a Christian who's been a Christian for multiple years, how, how, I'm just curious, how many years have you been a Christian now? Since 1988. So close to close to 40 years, 44, 45 years almost. I've been a Christian for, what's 2023 minus 2005, 18, so, I think something like that. <laughs> um, it's so odd to me as an older Christian. It's like, why why would you not want to put your belief in this? Because I but I'm also very sympathetic to some things that can cause people to have unbelief. Now what are to help our listeners out who might be feeling the same way, like 
you know, because for us, it's pretty easy because we've been regenerated to be like, well, why wouldn't anybody believe this? You know, it seems pretty simple. What are some barriers to belief that people might run into if they have some gospel conversations with people? Well, I mean, even like me, you know, I grew up in the church and even though I knew everything about it, I never had that saving faith. I never had that change of life. I've been baptized, all those other things. And then when I got older, um, I was basically living two two lives, a lot of church life and a friend's life at school and then college and then career. Um, and so uh, it wasn't until I met a real Christian that had the real peace. And there's something that was missing in my life was really that peace mm. that um, I started searching and came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so. You get caught up in the world. You get caught up in this life. And I think that's kind of the whole thing about uh, when you look at Paul and his preaching and John here, uh, they're confronting these people. We're telling everybody that this life is all there is to it. This, and that's the whole philosophy of our world today is yeah, that this that's life right. is it. And we've got to save our planet and save this life. And if, and you, you live your life for um, this life only. Uh, either you know you get all the fame you can get, all the glory you can get, you can make all the money you can get, you can give all the money away you can do, but it's all about this life pretty much. And and so John is trying to say no, it's, it's it is about this life, but it's about eternal life, which is which never ceases. And so if if you spend your entire in, entirety of life just on the whatever amount of time that you've, you're given, uh. And when you die, then what does it profit a man if you even gain the whole world and lose your soul? I mean, that's a quote from John, from Jesus and John as well. So, um, so John is trying to get everybody to look at, don't look at just this life, look at the eternal life. And then when you have that perspective, then it helps you then reorient your whole life then. So, okay, so then the reason I go to church is to worship with other believers uh, the reason I invite people to church because I want them to hear the gospel so they can come to know Christ as well. Um, the reason I befriend people at, at work and befriend people is to get to know them, but also have an opportunity to pray for them, witness to them, you know, with the opportunity, hopefully one day that, that they'll come to know Christ as well. So it gives you the perspective then that we're just not living just for this life. We're living for eternity. Yeah. And what I think what we've got to help people realize it's, Yes, this life is important, but like you said, it ain't the only thing. This is actually a very small, what we have is a very, very, very small time frame in comparison to all of history and to all of time. We we really need to be, used, as Christians, using this time to be a, to be a stepping stone into the next, into the next life, to, you know, take people under a wing and say, hey, come and see. Come yeah, and see and how if, awesome Jesus is. And eternal life was the only thing that was about, then we would, I think I mentioned in my sermon, then once we got saved, then God would just should have just went ahead and made us, translated us up, up to heaven. Yeah, Zappos so, went on. So we know we have eternal life in heaven in the future forever. So now we know we're still here on the here on this life, so then we got to make the most of it while we're here. And the way we do that is reorient everything to that eternal life. So then, you know, the reason I give is to support missions, to support church plants, and to support our church, and to support, you know, 
sending kids to camp and all those things that we do to try to get the that message of eternal life to as many people as possible so they can have that same opportunity to live forever. Absolutely. We're all about trying to see people gain heaven. And that's why, I mean, and that's why we have something like yesterday with Bab, you know, to kind of start to draw to a close a little bit. That's why we, that's why we do baptisms. One, Jesus commands us to do so, but we don't want to just proclaim the gospel in word only, but as a church, we do it in deed too. And I love, I meant to say it from the baptistry yesterday, but you covered me in the <laughs> covered me in the sermon. But you know, baptism is that outward sign of an inward transformation that's going on. Because when they go into the water, that represents we have died to self. But there is hope because when they come up out of the water, that shows that we've been given new life in Christ, and that we'll be resurrected in the last day. And that it's not just about, even in, you see even in baptism, it's not just about the here and now, but for all of eternity. And I think all of yesterday, I mean, man, with the baptisms, the testimonies of the people, the the sermon, everything pointed towards eternal life yesterday. And it's such a good reminder for us to not get so bogged down in the in this life. And it also gives us hope that whatever you might be going through today, whether um whether there's a death in the family, whether there's a struggle, relational struggles you might be having or uh, work struggles. Re- when we talk about eternal life, it's so important to remember that what goes on here is temporary, but we've given something that's going to last for forever. I'm going through my quiet time in Daniel right now, and it's reiterated that there's going to be a kingdom that's going to last forever. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. So just remember, Christian, stay, you know, persevere, take heart. He's overcome the world, and one day it's going to be made right. And that's that's where our hope's at, and that's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus because he's going to come again, and uh, he's going to make it right, and that's going to be that segue into our eternal life if we're still here or if he hadn't called us home already. So going to be uh, – that'll be good. So – Oh, Jeff, for next Sunday, what's on the agenda? Well, it's Palm Sunday, and so uh, I'm not going to do a typical Palm Sunday sermon. I've done those before in the past, but I'm basically going to talk about how right before Palm Sunday, Jesus predicted that, um, he he predicted his passion, and that's what I'm going to call it, predicting the passion. And I'm going to take it out of Matthew chapter 10, um, beginning in verse 17 through 19 and he basically tells them what's going to happen and it's, uh, he does it in all three gospels uh he, he he it's three different times he tells them this is going to happen to him but this is the one where he gets the most detail so we're going to talk about how he predicted his passion and uh maybe look at some old testament prophecies that predicted oh that'll be good too that goes along with each one of those yeah about. yeah absolutely because it's uh luke 24 is clear that the prophets, uh, the the law, the psalms, the writings pointed to me. So that's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to this passion season here at, um, at Rose of Sharon. We've got a good Friday service on Friday the 7th at 7 p.m. So that's easy to remember, the yeah. 7th at 7. And uh, we'll have a, our Easter service on that Sunday morning, obviously, with Easter Sunday, and that'll start at 10 a.m. Uh, we invite you to come out and invite somebody. 
Easter is a great time. Don't forget your kids. Yeah, and the the egg hunt for our kids is going to be uh, Saturday the 8th at 10 a.m. And that's a great way to, there's definitely going to be a gospel presentation there. I try to do like an illustrated, basically a kid's talk, like a glorified kid's talk, if you will, on the on the gospel. So uh, if you're a parent listening to this, you know, bring your kid out, tell your kid to bring all the friends that he or she wants to in the world, and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll even feed you with some hot dogs cooked by some of our wonderful, wonderful chefs here at Rose of Sharon. So uh, it's going to be good. Looking forward to this. The Lord's uh, doing some good work, and pray that he'll continue to do a great work through you and if there's anything that we can ever do for you here as a pastoral staff please don't hesitate to reach out we love you and we'll see you on the net on the next one so so long